1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. VTW group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
0: 18 plus. Welcome to One Mother's Voice. I'm your host, Wister Johnson. For nearly 16 years, I struggled with having a son in prison. After his untimely death, I dedicated myself to educating other mothers and families about criminal justice issues, policies, and effects that can negatively impact the lives of so many. Join me now. Hi, welcome to One Mother's Voice. Um, If you're joining me for the first time, as you heard in the intro, my real interest is in supporting uh, those people who have loved loved ones who are incarcerated or in and out of jail. Um, I give a little background about myself, um, even though you kind of heard I had a son who was in and out of prison, but <clears throat> excuse me, I've also <clears throat> have other members of my family who are currently incarcerated. So for me, this is a really uh, issue that hits close to home. It's not just a topic or Something that I chose to talk about because it's timely, but because it has affected my life and the life lives of other people in my family, I'm sure in the same way it may have a, might be affecting you and and your families <clears throat> so my goal is um when my son was incarcerated uh, many many years ago, I really was just I had no idea about the criminal justice system, I had no idea that a lot of the stuff that went on um, was systemic. <clears throat> so I would just visit him, <clears throat> excuse me, I would just visit him and, you know, think about him as an individual who was caught up in the criminal justice system through his own actions, which is partially true. On the other hand, um after his, his he died, he died in prison, actually Wendy Correctional Facility in upstate New York. Um, I just somehow that led me to first writing, write a book, which I'm still working on, about my experiences. I wanted to share them, because really it was only after his death that I realized how much his incarceration had affected me. And believe me, I at the time that it happened, I wasn't really aware that it had affected me in so many ways. It was something that was on my mind, actually, constantly. I used to kind of envision myself with this cloud over my head that sort of colored everything that I did, whether I was working or trying to enjoy a particular uh, family event. Always in the back of my mind, I was thinking about him and, you know, how he was doing um, in in prison. So before I get started, so that's a little background. So one of the things I wished I had known before, um, for example, I started thinking recently about the fact about plea bargaining. Um, I was never in court with him, so I'm not even sure whether he was one of those people that, you know, pled guilty because he wanted to, uh, you know, not go through a trial or because he was told that to uh, go to trial, he'd probably get more time than if, if he plea bargain. Um There was just s- stuff that I, I really didn't know. I didn't realize then that, one, how prison was affecting him, or if he had lived, if he had come out, how it would have affected him when he came out. I also began to realize that there was actually no one who I could talk to who either understood what I was going through Or uh, when he came out of prison and I was sometimes trying to steer him into a more productive path, I was literally at my wit's end. I didn't know how to do that. Um, My one attempt to uh, do that, one time I took him to see a psychologist, um, and, you know, he tolerated that, but he just was sort of put off by her, the way she presented herself to him. So... um, it was just so much. Then, on the other hand, I remember even before he went into prison, I used to see uh, people. I would say on the block there was a young man in particular. I'll never forget him. I know he had been incarcerated. He came out and he actually lived. I lived in Brooklyn, and we lived in a like a, I lived in a four-unit house. And his family, he and his family, lived next door. And I'll never forget when uh, he had come out of prison one day. I used to see him. On my way to work, or just in general, I would see him standing on the stoop, and he just looked so lost. Like, you know, now that I'm out, you know, what do I do? Um, again, I didn't know then that how difficult it is for people when they come out to sort of get, uh, you know, a sure footing, to find work, to uh, get away from habits that may have been that may have been destructive, or to find mentors, people who will sort of, you know, walk them through. So um, there was a lot that I didn't know, and I've learned a lot in the course of doing this uh, podcast. And so some of that I will share with you, but also just to keep you up to date on what is happening, because actually when I started writing my book, um, there wasn't too much talk about criminal justice in the national, in the public arena at all, but that has changed like 300, made you know, things have made a 360 degree change since then and it is the topic. So this is an ideal time, I think, um, particularly for those people who live this, either because they've been incarcerated or because they know someone who's been incarcerated, to step forward and talk about how um, we are affected by this. So before I go any further, um, I'd like you to say hello to my sometime co-host. I say sometime because she's um, hopefully, she'll chime in uh, and sort of ask me questions or, you know, contribute. And her name is Amore. So, do you want to say hello, Amore? Hi, everyone. Hi. So, um, so we're going to get started. So, basically, what we do here is I uh, try to do various segments. So, the first segment, generally, would be some uh, news story. Um, I did, first, I thought it was going to be news briefs, where I just tell you kind of what's happening, again, relative to criminal justice Um, But as it turns out, a first story will not be so brief. Mm -hmm. So this week, there are two items that I came across that um, I'd like to share with you. At some time to time, we'll also spotlight people who I feel are, you know, making news in in what they're doing in criminal justice uh, and ways that they're trying to change something, either the bail system or the sentencing system or um you know the voting you know helping felons to get their voting rights back um the other segment um again if there's anything going on i know there is i think sometime in this in the fall every year there's a group and i don't i can't think of their full name right now but it's a group i think it's called the international uh families families international organization of families who have um relatives in prison. So they do this every year. So, uh, when I get anything like that, I will share it with you. Uh, one of the things I feel is that again, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, uh, particularly, you know, feeling down, feeling depressed, feeling overwhelmed, um, or either just not wanting to think about it. Um, many times we have someone, who you know a husband somebody a father or brother or nephew or uncle or son who seems to go in and then come go in to prison does some time could be short or long come back out seem to be doing okay and then before we know it they're caught up in something and they're back in again and that's extremely extremely frustrating and um, most of us really don't know how to handle it when that happens we tend to Feel if only this person would just get themselves in the right frame of mind, and and again, uh, as, as I'm going to talk about a little bit later, uh, I don't think we have given enough. Uh, I'm talking about those people in, in in the public itself has not given enough um, information about just how difficult it is and just how prison can affect you. I mean, we have famous stories like um, Khalif Browder, the young man. Um, who was held in jail actually at Rikers and he was I think in in solitary confinement for some hundreds of for hundreds of days I forgot I think it was almost two years um, and he came out he was doing seemingly okay um, he was he got a lot of press media attention which seemed to be you know leading him he had a supportive family uh, but he was home for about two years and he ended up killing himself. So, um, and there are lots of stories like this where people come out and they fail or they keep going back and forth. And so um, hopefully we can talk through this program a little bit about, you know, what can we do, if anything, what needs to be done, both in private for us as families, but also in terms of what we want our, our political leaders to do and to understand. Um, I recently, on my webpage, worcesterjohnson.com, I I looked at what the top five candidates at that time, I guess this was about maybe a couple of months ago, who they were. I think it was Kamala Harris, um, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Bernie Sanders, um, Elizabeth Warren, and Joe Biden. So I looked at what their criminal justice policies are and they varied so I'm not going to get into that today maybe I'll do that for another program um, and just you know what are they going to do what if what are they hoping to do and so the results it turned out some are doing a little some are more ambitious but I think those are the things that we need to uh, as, as families and, and keep on top of that kind of thing so before I get started i'm going to ask a more um what do you think is the reason and i'll try to tie this back into criminal justice but right now um what do you think is the reason that african americans as a group have not been able to accumulate wealth and we'll define what wealth is uh a little bit later but just in general what are your feelings around that
2: I honestly feel like it has a lot to do well with racism, which is something that a lot of us know. Um, Also, we aren't really, um, what is it, I think they call it financially literate, Mm -hmm. Um, and in terms of wealth being passed down to generations, whereas, you know, other races may inherit it from their uh, older relatives or whoever, we don't really inherit wealth. Um, And also when we um, do get money, not all of us, but some of us tend to spend it on things that um, most people would consider frivolous. We just don't have that financial literacy Mm -hmm. and um, we just don't have, we're not given that head start that others may be given when it comes
0: to um, being able to attain wealth. Okay. Okay. So, some of what you said, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to talk about this, the first uh, news article, it was in the paper, uh, I think it was, it was posted on MSN, MSN Money, mm-hmm. uh, they have something, they do really called City Lab, mm-hmm. and so this article is posted there. Some of what you said is true, mm-hmm. I think the other issue is that we, some and myself included, yeah, we sometimes feel, and actually it's so interesting because, uh my granddaughter had told us about a book called um the millionaires next door Mm -hmm. and in that book they talk about how people accumulate wealth Mm -hmm. um and some of it talks about what you said about how we choose to spend our money and you know what we know about money Mm -hmm. but based on this particular article um wealth so what is considered wealth in your mind for me, wealth is your
2: money working for you, not you working for your money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like wealth is where you can employ the people around you mm-hmm. and kind of uh, make opportunities or create opportunities for other people. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what
0: wealth is. Okay.
2: I, I don't know what it. Would okay, be so minutes.
0: let me tell you the title of this art. It's called "White Americans Hold on Wealth is Old, mm-hmm. Deep, and Nearly Unshakable." Mm-hmm. And so when I read this article, um, it's very, very enlightening. Again, some of it we kind of, that we too. know intuitively mm-hmm. that, you know, we haven't always had access to, you know, capital right. um, to start businesses or do whatever. But this goes a little deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And I think the takeaway from this is that we're not going to bridge that gap anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I've read articles the way things about are going. how far behind we are. Yeah. yeah,
0: and it isn't because we can't do it. It's no. because the system is set up in a way mm-hmm. that we don't have the mechanisms to do it. Right. Okay, and it does acknowledge that, of course, you know, African Americans who make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. You know, who have wealth. Yes. So, wealth is not income. hmm And some people feel that if I make $100,000 a year, I am wealthy. No no wealth is not these days. <laughs> so according to this article and then I'm, again i'm going to go back they talk about family wealth mm-hmm. meaning money and that's part of what you said that's generational right that i have the wherewithal to mm-hmm. uh you know either start you know provide money yeah. so that my family will be able to do whatever buy a home perfect go to example
2: college. is uh paris hilton she's from a family of billionaires and now she's her, a billionaire in her own right, right? Or close to it, from what I read from different business ventures that she's been able to
0: accumulate over the years. But yeah, so they have a, a head start. Mm-hmm. So the four things. And so let me just go back a little. Yeah. So this was a study that um, said that that looked and it's by some kind com- a firm, a consultancy call firm called McKinsey and Company, mm-hmm. and they looked at the you know black white. Um, Wealth gap in four areas. Uh, for number one, family wealth. How much wealth does your family have? Right. Okay. Two, family income, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what contributes to the, to family, the family having a, a, you know, a good income. Right. Family savings mm-hmm. and community context. What kind of communities are able to support people in developing businesses? hmm So um, we know that, a lot of um, African Americans and, and other people—I mean, Native Americans—are yeah. in communities that they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the mm-hmm. the capital, they don't—they're not able to support. I mean, just for example, there have been times when I was thinking, gee, it would be great if I had a house because mm-hmm. when you know, uh, one of my grandsons—I have actually two grandsons who are currently uh, in the custody of the state—that. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 a difference might it make if they mm-hmm. did not if they came home yeah and I was able to say you know you don't have to pay rent you mm-hmm. come here you know go to work stay right. here right but just a stable thing to help them or even I had connections that I was somehow able to uh, say you know Mary over here is willing mm-hmm. to give you a job right as opposed to you or to helping them through those first crucial. Months right. when they come out with no income mm-hmm. or if they save some income, you know, it's quickly eaten up, particularly if you live in a city like New York or you live in California or some place where expenses are, point. you know, pretty high. Yes. So, um, and so quite often, you know, I felt, and I, I actually thought about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wish that I had the wherewithal to help them more other than just with encouraging words. Encouraging Same. words are great. But hey, right, right. <laughs> you know, if I had a business, yeah. you know, I'll give you a chance. I will and hire to you. To say
2: even if we had that business or whatever, that they wouldn't end up back in the system.
0: Absolutely. You so, know? but I it would mean, be nice. <laughs> I have said quite often because one of the things I talk about in my book is that this book is not to apologize or to make excuses for choices that my son made. right? But I think that in everything else, we have to look at the, the society that they're in. Mm-hmm. We have to look at the family dynamics. What kind of family dynamics did they have? Yes. Um, you know, what kind of, you know, skills, what kind of, um, did they have mental illness? Did they mm-hmm. have? So, so, again, I think... If we're going to help people, yeah. particularly people who have been incarcerated, um, what kind of communities do they come from? Right. And we know, and I'll tell you that from the second piece, that um, a lot of times uh, they come from what we so call, in quotation marks, disadvantaged communities. Right. So, um, and then another thing, and this is a kind of off the topic a little bit, mm-hmm. is there's usually one person in the family mm-hmm. who is stable enough and has yeah. enough somewhat discretionary income yes to you know help that person yeah um but that's not enough
2: yeah you
0: actually need a community yeah, or a i community. agree so it's it's so this is this is some complicated stuff yeah and it's Very. stuff that you we again this is one of the things that I think by educating ourselves as the families of those people, mm-hmm. as a group. Right? right. I don't know how this could be done, an organization, but not just a support group which says, you know, um, let's send them some cards, or mm-hmm. you know, let's help each other feel okay, yeah. which is crucial because you may need a place to do yeah. that. But how can we get together and provide? Um, you know, create agencies mm-hmm. or organizations mm-hmm. that will, one, maybe provide a mentor to someone when it comes right. out that will, you know, help them with jobs. And I know some of that is in place, but it's not nearly as much in place as I think it should be. It should so be, yeah. getting back to this article. Mm-hmm. So according to this, it says, despite the progress that black families have made, and we have made progress yeah. in the civic oh, area yeah, and economic life, um, that we still face systemic and cumulative barriers uh, to wealth building. And the reasons are, one, due to discrimination, mm-hmm. okay, poverty, mm-hmm. um, a shortage of social connections, mm-hmm. um, as well as systems that have been created to prevent us from t- having access to uh, the things that you need in order to be successful. So we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about... So this report looked at four things. Your family's wealth, your family income, family savings, community context. And that by that they meant a community's collective, public, and private access. Um, black families, it says, have not been able to build we- wealth due to unmet needs and obstacles across these four areas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it starts off by talking about uh, when slavery ended... At the end of the Civil War, a lot of white plantation owners lost everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And you would think they would not recoup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they found that by the next generation,
1: step into the world of power, loyalty. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware
0: prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They had accumulated more wealth than they had before. Their sons had accumulated more wealth by um, taking advantage of, just because they knew other wealthy people. right? And so a lot of them, and then the, the, the generation, so there was like the, The plantation owners did poorly because they lost their land and everything. Um, Some of it was land grabbing for black people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But they found... um, So let me see if I can find it in here. It says... uh, It says, uh, the wealth, income, and savings of white families accumulated during slavery. Um, They made their money off the backs of, of, of the slaves. That was their... That was their collateral. No shop there. So when they didn't have that collateral anymore and they yeah. didn't have any land, um, that they just, they, the government in conjunction with uh, businesses, mm-hmm. that they created ways to help the white families to either get access to credit, mm-hmm. land, mm-hmm. and those things that will help them get back on their feet. Yeah. Um, so again, um, this is interesting. So it says that the largest uh, slave-holding families took a huge hit after the Civil War, which I just said. Um, but by 1880, many of the sons of these families had already recovered the wealth. By 1900, the sons of the richest slave had not only financially recovered, but were wealthier than the sons of the families who were just as wealthy. Oh. So, yeah, hmm. But mostly... Um, so, these so they they were there were families who were wealthy who didn't lose, you know, maybe they had their, their money in industry as opposed to slave. Mm-hmm. Slavery, yeah. So, Slaves these sons owners. were able to. So, it goes on to say the what most likely, but most of the wealth recovered by the slave owners came from occupation based earnings. Um, the most likely explanation for the restoration of their wealth, according to this study, is the role of social networks that facilitated employment opportunities and access to credit. Okay. Or in other words, community context. The wealthy slaveholding families were close enough with the wealthy families who weren't totally in the slavery business to leverage these relationships into the preservation of their status. Yeah. So they were able to do that.
2: Sounds like the Lannisters on Game of Thrones with the Iron Bank. Right, Because they right. were in debt to them, but they kept lending them money so that they could maintain their status.
0: <laughs> okay, so by 1940, yes. even the grandsons of former slaveholders were doing better than uh, similarly situated non-slaveholding families. Yeah. And they did this because they graduated from high school and college, which was fairly uncommon in the South at the time, and by settling securely into white-collar jobs. Okay. So by the 1940s, there was also a period when white families were able to further enhance their prospects. Now this is interesting, through new credit and finance instruments that were created as part of the New Deal. White families and farm owners took advantage of loans that were created by um, the Federal Housing Administration and the Farm Security Administration to help them leverage their way into health. Whereas before the Civil War, mortgages and credit were, you got that based on how many slaves you had. Mm-hmm. But by the 1940s, white families could obtain mortgages and credit that were collateralized by land, houses, and By homes. the 1940s? Yes. Wow. Um, and they didn't have to come from wealthy families to be able to get this financing. So if you were a, a middle income person, you didn't have to be wealthy. Right. So, um, So let me go on. It says here so this is uh, this, there's a law professor from a University of California um, Irvine School of Law uh, Messer Barrett Disson she calls this Jim Crow credit when the banking industry began green lighting low cost loans for white families mm-hmm. fully insured by the federal government so when they lent money to white families they were backed by the the, the um, guarantee by the, the federal government that if for whatever reason you didn't pay this loan back we don't have to worry Mm -hmm. because the federal government's going to compensate us for (laughs) it. It said uh, they began greenlighting low-income loans for white families, uh, I just said that, who were fully insured. African-American families are often passed over for the same loans, Mm -hmm. and they were redlined into, redlining, you know what that means,
2: Yes, I know what redlining okay. is,
0: yes. So um, they were redlined into communities where um, we're not going to lend to that particular community. community. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go down because I think there's a paragraph at the end down here. All right, so this will kind of explain it. There's a lot more to it, so... Yes. But this, I think these paragraphs say, First, you legally segregate, and then you let the market do it for you. So just to run back the school, Southern slave holding families were able to recuperate post-Civil War wealth in one generation. By 1940, low-income and working-class whites were ushered into wealth by federally-backed housing and farming loans and given lines of credit. At the same time, freed African Americans are mostly robbed of what little bit of land they were able to possess after the Civil War, and they were passed over for mortgages, loans, and credit lines that the other families could get. In order to create, lose, and then recreate wealth, and then create new forms of wealth for other low-income white families. White families leverage social networks and credit. Um, so that was, that was interesting. Yeah. So um, I'm going like to end this i to read that article. It says, um, however, so this goes on to say that this is some of it systemic, mm-hmm. and that is even the case today. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was an article I was reading about a woman who makes, I think, $90,000. She graduated from a top school, mm-hmm. and she couldn't get a partner in Brooklyn that they denied her several times because they were asking her to have all this documentation and all this stuff. It was... I saw it on... I think on Twitter. Documentation? Yes. Like, for example... I can't remember what they... Because I read it. Yeah. But... The, so the article was saying that this woman is highly educated. Yes. Um, makes a lot of money. Yeah. She had good credit because, mm-hmm. she you know, she was paying everything. And she was a, a black woman. She couldn't get an apartment. apartment. They were making it hard for her. So, anyway, so... I think the takeaway from this is that one, it'll take a long time to bridge this gap mm-hmm. and if uh if at all possible to bridge it, yeah. it would take generations and it would take, you know, a lot of stuff has to be in place. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just that you I'm sure people can save their way mm-hmm. but what makes wealth is generally land. Right. Housing. Um, and access to credit yeah. and able to get loans to give you that head start. Yeah, And so um, so I thought that was a really good article. Yeah. Well. So um, the next piece I want... How much time do we have? Uh... Um, you have about sixteen
2: minutes. Okay, so I'm <laughs> going to do the second. I may
0: not even get to the second one. Actually, I'm going to skip the second article because I'll do it next week. Okay, that's fine. But this one was really interesting again because it's actually documenting, again, I mean, a lot of times we know things instinctively. We all know the case. Someone is in, they go to jail, they're out, they, they come out, then they go back in. Yeah. Um, this one is really interesting because this particular study targeted of the population of people who are in jail, who are the most likely to return and why. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you an explanation sometimes, some of which, again, I think I'll do that. Um, mm-hmm. The article, by the way, is called Arrest, Release, Repeat. The Tragic Cycle of American Jails. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was Basin. So I just want to tell people before I go that if you want to read this article, it's actually, um, there's a link to it on my webpage. Uh, If you go to WorcesterJohnson.com. Your website? Website, sorry. (laughs) If you go to my website, com. Yes. There is, I mentioned. There's a link. You click on that, and that will take you to the story. And there's also a little audio, a video clip where this gentleman, Tremaine Lee, who's a, a journalist, black journalist, he talks a bit about this, and um, he sort of links it to reparations mm-hmm. as well. Okay. okay. So, um, do you want to take a short break? No, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Um It kind of like I didn't. I spent so much time on that, but I thought it was very important because I think. Sometimes, and I have to say this, I'm sorry. Yes. I think what happens is that we begin to absorb the negative thoughts about us that other people tell us. Mm Mm-hmm. That you know, I mean, one of the big ones is oh, black people spend so much money, Mm -hmm. da 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 da, which is true, right? But income is not a determinant of wealth. I mean, it's part of it, right? But it's you know, your wealth is do you own your home? You Mm -hmm. know, do you do you have any real estate? Do you have something that you can leverage, right? In order to, and it isn't your income because you may not have an income next month. Something happens to you; you don't have (laughs) it. And I think
2: everybody spends their money. So, again,
0: I'm not saying that it isn't a certain amount of, um, you know, personal responsibility for us to use the money that we have. Right, I agree. But even, um, I don't know, just somehow more community mechanisms Mm -hmm. where, um, I'm just going to give you this example. Um, In Brooklyn, where Mm -hmm. we lived, there was a community of Hasidic Jews, Mm -hmm. and um, they were very insular. Mm -hmm. They, you know, pretty much took care of each other. They, They had their own bus system. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so many I things. remember that. Because yeah. I remember seeing them and I'm like. <laughs> they have their own, they had their own bus system. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could set up community loan, you know what I'm saying? Right. That, um, but it had, we have to develop the mindset that a job is, is not the only way to get wealth. Right. That if we're going to create wealth, we have to, one, one, have access
2: to, to credit. Um, I listen to Boyce Watkins a lot. He's very big on uh, Black people owning their own businesses and starting their own businesses, and kind of taking control in that way. Yes. Um, yeah. He, he's always talking about that. He's but good.
0: you know again, you have to remember. Um, just say for example I again, I, I don't think we know if going to get to my last next topic. Well, that's
2: fine. That's what the show's for. You've I remember
0: like. when um, I at one point was doing a health newsletter. Um, It was called Best of Health, and I was doing it just really as a service, because at Mm -hmm. that time I was doing massage and teaching yoga, and (laughs) I did workshops around health and was really big into that. Mm -hmm. And so at one point I decided that, you know, someone said, you know, the the newsletter was like 12 pages, Mm -hmm. and I don't know whether I got the idea or someone said, okay, so, you know, you want to make it into a... A magazine, Right. And at that time, I had no idea what, I had worked for magazines, because mm-hmm. my background is in journalism, I had worked for magazines. Right. So I knew the editorial side, mm-hmm. I didn't know the business side. Right. And so when I started looking at it, and mm-hmm. I realized that for me to get money to start a magazine that... It would do a couple of things. I'd have to know how to do a business proposal that a bank would be able to see how I could project out how much mm-hmm. money I was going to earn. Mm-hmm. Um, I Actually, after I did that, then I realized, first of all, startups have a hard time getting money, but particularly if you're doing, and sort of, you know, back then it was mostly like publishing paper magazines. Yeah. Now people do stuff online. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was like, where was I going to get the money from? I didn't even know about venture capitalists. Yeah, I didn't know a venture capitalist. Yeah, it just so happened that I had ended up with a contact with someone who worked for—I think it was uh, Black Enterprise—and he. You no, know, it was one of the publications that was very successful, and he agreed to have me. Uh, introduced me to his uh, capital, people who had provided capital for whatever this other publication was. Oh, speaking
2: of that, yeah. Black Enterprise, my uncle always used to tell me to read Black Enterprise. He always told me that when yeah. I was like a teenager. Yeah, he would say, get those magazines and read them. And read about
0: business. Yeah. Now, again, you got me off on another tangent. <laughs> when my son was incarcerated, he was yeah. a real entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah.
2: And my I uncle, have who she's writing the book about Damon. He would <laughs> tell me that when we were going on visits. He was like he would always say, "Read Black Enterprise, learn about your business and get that money <laughs>
0: <laughs> And um he would always tell me too, like when I was again, I was doing this publication Best yeah. of Health, I was using my own order and money to right. go have it printed and to pay people to write for it because I just didn't believe people should work for nothing. Mm-hmm. so I would take my salary money right. and you know pay people to yeah. write. Um, you know, it wasn't a great sum, but I just mm-hmm. felt they needed to be compensated for that. Unless they just said, "No, hey, I just want to work with you." Yeah. But um, I lost my point. I was going to. Oh, so you know, he also had an entrepreneurial bent. Um, mm-hmm. He wanted to start two um, mail order businesses. Mm-hmm. I even have one of the flyers he created, mm-hmm. and he was trying to actually work with 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 uh, his brother, who was not incarcerated. Um, and at one point he was trying to work out to get, because uh, he was in upstate New York, he had actually at one point settled in, near Niagara Falls, Buffalo area. And so he was realized a lot of people there had difficulty with the Greyhound bus getting right. to, and so he wanted to set up uh, some family transportation so they could make money doing that. But then he got pissed off because he said, you know, his brother wasn't interested and, but um, he had a real entrepreneurial bent. So, and again, I say that to say there's so much talent that's incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, uh, again, and I don't, you know, and I mean, I don't think I have to, I'm saying this, but just so people will be clear yeah. there is a place of personal responsibility for some of the things that we do, that people do that get them incarcerated, but I think we have a responsibility as a community, as a society, yeah. to um, do what we can, and I think uh, Amor made a point earlier, she said that, well, no matter what you do, maybe they wouldn't, you know, they would have not necessarily gone to come, you know, re- what's that word, um, They wouldn't have necessarily done too much, you know, they wouldn't have done anything too productive with their life. But I always felt it was incumbent upon me to do it because I knew that if the state didn't care and I knew that most people didn't care, and so I felt that that it was my job to support him in any way I could. I can't tell you if he had lived, whether right now he'd be, you know, out here doing great things. Uh, I hope to believe, I I prefer to believe that he would be, but I don't know. So, let me tell you what we're going to talk about next week. First, I'm going to talk about the second article that I didn't get to today. And, again, that's um, about the dis- dif- disproportionate number of black, low-income, and less educated and unemployed people who go through this cycle of in and out of jails. The second thing I want to talk about is um, next week is the effects of incarceration, which is a big topic so, as I was thinking about this, I was torn between talking about what they call the collateral effects of incarceration, meaning, um, you know, the effect on children, you know, parents, siblings, the community, mm-hmm. uh, that, but then also there's the side where you talk about the effects of incarceration on people who are formerly incarcerated. So, I think next week I'm going to talk a little bit about that because again i don't think many of us understand um the damaging effects of incarceration i'm reading a book now called i can't have it in front of me it's a really long book it's taking me like months and months and months to solitary get it by Albert yeah. um, it's called solitary and i saw this guy he was on book tv And the book is called Solitary. It says, Unbroken by Four Decades in Solitary Confinement. Mm -hmm. But um, it just goes to show you that um, how the things that they did to this man, I mean, he literally was locked up for 40 years in solitary confinement. The other thing I want to point to, a lot of you saw the special on uh, the, what do they call in the Central Park Five?
2: Yes, Uh, When When They they See Us. When They See Us.
0: And, again, these guys have gotten money, they're out, they're, they're quote-unquote celebrities, people know them. And one of the guys on the show said, I will never get over that experience. It just damaged him so much. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of you saw Meek Mill, and Free Meek it's on, called Free uh, Milk on, sorry, on, Amazon Prime. on Amazon Prime, you know, for me, it was easy to see how this experience of uh, being in and out. I mean, he wasn't consistently in jail, how it changed him. So I think we need to be much more cognizant of the the damaging effects of that experience or just being caught up and trying to assist system that basically is set up to destroy you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is what it's about. You should
2: also watch the 13th uh, Ava DuVernay's Netflix oh, yes. documentary if you haven't seen that. History. Yes,
0: <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah. Um, and also, if you get a chance to go to... Where did I go? Was it North Carolina? Where did I go to see the, the Peace and Justice? I mean, to see the the museum? Uh, was it Alabama? Uh, yeah, if you can get there to see the... I think it's the... Oh, God, I should know this because I went there for the Peace and Justice Summit um, a couple of years ago. But there's so much activity around uh, restoring people to wholeness Um, Knowing our story, knowing our history, and seeing things in context, um, and not just seeing uh, people as broken and irreparably damaged, but somehow, so... So,
2: the Peace and uh, Justice um, Summit, or they have a memorial, a national memorial for peace and justice in the Legacy Museum in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. Yes. And if you get a
0: chance, you must go there. Yes. You really must. It was, and I, when I went there, of course, I wasn't kind of ignorant, but they tied together everything from slavery to mass incarceration, Mm -hmm. okay? And you'll get to see, it's no wonder. I mean, I read a book once, I can't remember, one of these books I was reading, and he said, when people come from communities where they have poor education, there's no infrastructure, there's no um, employment opportunities, they... um, then what do you expect for them to, you know, you can't expect them to come out um, and somehow be, Yeah. I mean, of course are those who rise above it. So I think that's it. Of course, I've totally gone off my little plan for today, but nonetheless, um, I would thank you for joining me. And um, I hope you will come back next week because I'm sure we'll, you'll learn something interesting. And uh, I just hope you'll come back. So we're going to sign up. Well, that's it for this this week. week. If you have questions or comments, send them to me at omv 4 you at gmail.com. And make sure to follow me at One Mother's Voice on Facebook and Twitter. Until the next time, remember, to know more is to do more. Step into
1: the world of power, loyalty,